Gabriella Balcom won the right to have a novel published by Clarendon House Publishing when one of her stories was voted best in the anthology in which it appeared. Her book, On the Wings of Ideas, came out following this. What's your favorite genre? Fantasy? Horror? Sci-fi? Romance? Literary fiction? This multi-genre collection of short stories includes all of that and more and has something for everyone. Gabriella's stories will alternately move you and bring you to tears, captivate or horrify you, and have you on the edge of your seat. Don't miss out. Be sure to get a copy today. All her life, Joan placed herself into the hands of men who failed her. Joan does the unthinkable for a woman in 1960, leaving her small town of Gainesfield. As an accomplished musician, Joan served her country in the first ever women's Air Force band, San Antonio, Texas. She unwittingly becomes part of a brainwashing experiment. After her Air Force service, returning to society is particularly hard for Joan, so much so that she has spent a good deal of her life in a mental institution. As a patient in a VA hospital, Joan is found murdered. Small-town secrets, whispers behind closed doors, stolen records, serve to solve the mystery of what the hell happened to Joan. This book is a work of fiction, but very well could have happened. Gabriella Balcom's thrilling sci-fi novella, The Return. The world doesn't know about the compound hidden underground and the wealthy investors funding it want things to stay that way. Although it's the year 2027, most of the facility's research is illegal. If animal rights activists had an inkling of what went on, they'd clamor for justice. Human rights activists would scream from the rooftops. By the time 2030 arrives... Researchers have worked for a while with feline service units and human replicas, HRs, who are virtual prisoners with no rights. More and more of them are dying and they long for freedom. Surprisingly, one of the top scientists isn't happy with the status quo either. Tensions are mounting and things are not as they appear. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Myth Bits. I'm your host, Jenna Sparks, and this is episode 164. again welcome to the world of myth bits quiet week no housekeeping so uh yeah it's been it's been a quiet week um the huge go to www.mythmart.com check out the world of myth anthology number four the calendar on February 8th, we have the release of Peggy Gerber's Stumbling in Crazy Town. Ooh, I 
think that's the huge, right? <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's the huge. Uh, everything to keep your your eyes peeled for at least. Um, so yeah, so again, it's been a nice, quiet week. I am getting ready to go to a concert this weekend. Uh, very excited, <laughs> kind of. No, I'm excited. Uh, I've always loved live music. I am, however, 30, and when I was in my teens, I was, I was for sure, you know, the one who was like, we got to get there, you know, six hours early, front of the line, make sure we get front row. Now, I mean, even COVID aside, now I'm just like, we're going to get there when we get there, and we're going to sit or stand where we sit or stand. <laughs> uh, COVID, however, also changes that opinion because it's like, I just want to dark little corner uh where nobody is is near me but such is life so that's really boring information I know uh so anyway again like I said it's been a quiet week I <clears throat> the whole reason I I brought up the the concert and everything um in getting ready for the show and preparing myself for the weekend because um, I know it's just a, you know, evening that we're going to be gone. But surprisingly, that like, you know, I've, I've talked about my ability, my lack of ability of prioritizing. So it's like I've, I've been emotionally preparing for this for a couple weeks now and um it takes it takes so much energy to sit there and, and think about okay so I'm gonna have to do this this xyz to get to this point and make sure this is done so that way um <laughs> I can enjoy uh what like five hours six hours away you know from it all and it's uh, it's a pain in the butt but um in doing so this week, um, I, I've been working on a drawing. It's a collaboration with <clears throat> another creator, another artist, and it's actually like the first time I've ever collaborated with somebody. And what they do is totally different than what I do. They do actual, they do pins and I draw. Um, and there is so much art that goes into what they do but obviously we're two totally different styles and techniques and everything and so the collaboration is it's so cool like <laughs> unfortunately it has taken so long to get to this point just because we when we first connected we connected a couple years ago um on a very like like very uh, uh small <laughs> scale just hi hello I love your work love your work too cool um and then uh when I was going through the whole cancer thing um last year they reached out to me and they were like hey you know and so we started talking very very regularly and they proposed a collaboration and unfortunately it took so long so so long to be able to prioritize that collaboration because um there was scare fair, there was, I mean, just so many factors like that 
I, I, it was so hard to balance, you know, and we're finally, finally doing it. And their part of the collaboration is pretty much finished. And it's so, oh my gosh, like if you guys follow me on social media, you'll see it. It's so great. It's phenomenal. I'll probably share it on the Mythbits uh, Instagram because I'm really, really trying to actually be more, um, uh, uh, affluent <laughs> in sharing content on Instagram on that page. I just get bad. I get bad on social media where it's like, I just kind of forget that it's a thing. Um, <laughs> I say as I, you know, peruse. Anyway, I wanted to talk, I mean, everything I hope kind of carries itself because I, I'm starting from one point of conversation that I really wanted to talk about. And I'm sure we've brought it up before, like on the show uh, many episodes ago or in passing, but it's something that still astounds me because uh, I feel like it's a very integral part of who we are as creatives um, and who we are as artists, writers, just any any aspect of making things, you know? And it's tough because it's very, very, very uh, mentally laborious and it's exhausting. But I think, you know, kind of honing in on it, it's it's still very interesting to me. So point is... Let's start off with with this point, which is I I love drawing. Drawing is my happiest of places 99% of the time. Of course, there are occasions where I start drawing something and I am immediately put off, you know, because it's something like when I did, I did a screen piece uh, from 1996 horror classic scream with Drew Barrymore's character Casey with Ghostface standing behind her. Casey's, I probably complained about it at the time, Casey's sweater in the film, it's so iconic. You know, Drew Barrymore is only like in, I think the scene is, it's less than 10 minutes. Um, But the sweater is so iconic and it's so specific and... I am so critical of everything I do, and I'm so critical of trying to be as accurate as possible in certain depictions. Uh, I know that's not always, always, always feasible, (laughs) but um, that sweater, oh my gosh, it was only the top part of it, her shoulders and the neckline, that was horrendous. That thing was, oh my gosh, an accumulation of so much exhaustion and just tirelessly working on it. And I I mean, like, originally the, the actual piece, because I sometimes am stupid, <laughs> and I I just kind of sometimes go for it. I don't always sit there and practice, which 
I do, but I don't. And, you know, like, because I, I really theorize about how I'm going to do it in my head before I do it, and then I just do it. So doing the sweater, anyway, doing the the, the knit patterning on the sweater was a horrible experience, and I wanted nothing to do with it, <laughs> okay? Like, I was so done. That thing took several weeks to do, fix, erase, fix again, erase, redo it. Oh, my gosh. It was brutal. But the point is... um. I love drawing. It's just, there's something very satisfying. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to, you know, clap myself on the shoulder and, and sound a little arrogant, but it's, I'm, I'm fairly good at what I do when it comes to drawing. You know, of course I am always learning. I am never going to sit here and pretend like I know it all or I know better than anybody else. Um, but I'm very proud of, of my work and how I, how I do things and everything. So I think it's astounding for me personally, because, you know, I've talked about imposter syndrome many a time, and I think every creative has it to some extent, you know, and I think we're all children of the mantra, you know, fake it till you make it, because I feel like that's such a counter to everything we've been taught. We grow up and we're taught how, you know, if we really want something, we can achieve it, right? And we're not getting into the politics of it all or the <laughs> the reality of it all, but it's not clear cut like that. You know what I mean? It's not. And I wish for everybody that we could just go to point A to point B with no uh, struggle or even learning curves in between. But again, that's that's not how it works. So when <laughs> when we when we start creating and we start making things you know it, it's so detrimental to understand that it's hard to it's hard to fathom how talented you are at something uh, for most people, you know, and I think sometimes it's easier to see. Sometimes it is not easy to see, you know, and, and again, art is, art is subjective. So we're going to rely on what we either assume or think the outside world is telling us regarding who we are as creators uh, when in reality, most most of the time that doesn't really matter, you know, because, again, art is subjective. And I'm not talking about mm, doing or making things that are intentionally bad or doing things that are 
offensive, like genuinely offensive things and then being shocked and surprised when people are like, don't, maybe don't, (laughs) you know, I'm talking about the genuine emotional trust and distrust of ourselves. So the whole, the whole point I'm trying to make is, um, when I'm making something, a lot of times I'll look at certain things um, that I've done and I, I really kind of feel that intense imposter syndrome just clinging for, I mean, not even dear life. It's just there. And it's like, this isn't, this isn't that good. You know, you're, you're phony. This is stupid. Like, why are you even doing this? And, and all those invasive thoughts. And it gets tricky because (laughs) um, then you do something else and it comes out really good and you're impressing yourself. I won't even lie. Like this piece I'm working on as a collaboration, like I have surprised myself Um, because the, (laughs) the source the what what the collaboration is based around is a very old old movie where finding quality um reference pictures and whatnot is not super easy and sometimes my brain processes things like hyper literally so it's anyway anyway goodness gracious i am going off in all sorts of directions The point is, I have super surprised myself, and I I love that feeling. That's just, that's got to be one of the the best feelings in the entire world. And I think, again, every creative knows that exact feeling. It's, it's, even if you're being super critical, you're sitting there and you are pouring over every detail of of whatever it is you've created and you are hyper-focusing and obsessing and looking, looking for flaws. And even if you've pinpointed a couple, a couple instances, because it happens, you're never going to see 100% perfection. Um, but, you know, you're still going to see little flaws. But when you step back and the overall feeling is, wow, I have done something really well. And I am so proud of this accomplishment for doing it so well. Um, So I kind of wanted to, I know it seems like that's, that's all I wanted to talk about, but no, that leads into the idea of these feelings that we have associated with our work. Um, because the reason I feel like I know I love drawing with every fiber of my being, um, is because, you know, we, we think of the feelings of memories as opposed to the memory itself, right? We think about how we felt during this point in time, or um, what exactly we how 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 we um, focused on the the thoughts, you know, and 
there's more on that too on the subject, but with art and drawing, it's it's for the most part very positive. I think there's only one piece that genuinely like I I hated every ounce of that feeling because it was my Selena Kyle piece um that I did for a Tim Burton show. And I did uh Catwoman from Tim Burton's Batman uh returns. And uh my 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 baby, my 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 dog Deville had died in the middle of me working on that piece. And that I mean, he was my baby. Like <laughs> there's no skirting around that that dog was my everything. And one day he was fine and the next he was paralyzed. He had um, he was three. Le- he was a three-legged German Shepherd. He lost a leg when he was a pup before he came into my care, and um, he. Oh my God! I don't want to cry. <laughs> he was. He was just my everything. And when um, when he died, unfortunately, it was the decision of you know um, putting him down. You know, and of course, you know, obsessively thinking like thinking about all every every aspect of how that could have gone anyway <laughs> that emotion which obviously you can tell still really 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 uh lingers i hate that like i love that piece i'm very proud of that piece but i don't remember working on it fondly if that makes sense um and i think that's such a powerful such a powerful aspect of of life but such a powerful aspect of creativity you know what I mean because for the first time in my life when I look at my art or you know making art drawing it whatever I don't focus on all of the bad you know where that piece aside because that was just one of many pieces that I've done um at a very very uh uh, important point in my life um I think of the joy that I have felt while working on most of these pieces and it's it's you know the regard of I was listening to this music while I was working on this piece and I really felt content during that time you know and if you ask me most I think most people I don't know if this is just a millennial thing maybe it is um but it's so much easier to focus on you know, negative and traumatic experiences and and not even like traumatic in the sense of life altering traumatic, just things. I think this is where, you know, our anxiety and mental health comes into play <laughs> and all its joy when we start thinking about the nitpicking of the little things, things that maybe we were conscious of <laughs> as it was happening, we were worried about, nervous about, uh, 
for some reason, you know, that that really kind of takes hold of the entire feeling of that memory. So it's interesting to me how that, you know, almost euphoric joy I experience when drawing is really the only time, you know, it's really the only time that I don't sit there and I hark back to all of the pain and, or not pain, but not to sound super emo, but to the negative aspects of memories. Um, you know, because I think about like outings, going to uh, an art show and, you know, sitting there and obsessively thinking about, you know, everything that I potentially did wrong, you know, in the midst of people, you know, going to a gallery and, oh, they haven't asked me back. Maybe it's because I said this, you know, even though realistically that's probably not what it was because it's something so stupid. Of course. So <laughs> like, is, is this just anxiety? I don't know. Um, point is, point is, um, you know, we, we, we really focus on the negative aspects of memories. And, you know, I, I feel like this is also tying into the creation of fiction. And it's something that, you know, again, I just kind of wanted to bring up because I think it's really interesting because it's such a, a small but real detail of being a person. Um, so I read this article and it's from WebMD <laughs> and I just thought it was interesting. Uh, so researchers say that negative emotions like fear and sadness trigger increased activity in a part of the brain linked to memories. These emotionally charged memories are preserved in greater detail than happy or more neutral memories, but they may also be subject to distortion. These benefits make sense within an evolutionary framework, writes researcher Elizabeth K Kensinger of Boston College in a review of research on the topic, topic in current directions in psychological science. It is logical that attention would be focused on potential, potentially threatening information. The more these emotional centers are uh, activated by an event, the more likely an individual is to remember specific details linked to the emotional aspect of that event, like the appearance of the gun. In this case, they were referencing, like, witnessing a shooting. And perhaps less likely to remember more mundane details like a street address. Researchers say studies using functional magnetic resonance imaging, fMRI, have shown negative events stimulate activity in emotion processing regions of the brain, such as the orbitofrontal cortex and the amygdala. Uh, researchers say this technique of preserving bad memories may have evolved as an evolutionary tactic to protect against future life-threatening or negative events. They say more studies how we remember bad memories are needed to help understand post-traumatic stress disorder as well as evaluate the reliability of eyewitness testimony. Uh, there are great podcasts on that, by the way. Uh, not from my podcast, which actually, hmm. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, so it's easy for so much of our mental state to feel like it's made up of negativity is the point. Um, 
so I just think that's very fascinating to think of because, you know, I, I'm going to pose something and it's something I think maybe I've already brought up, but I think it's very interesting because the further you think on it, honestly, it becomes kind of scary when you really rationalize this line of thought. With that in regard, what the, the research that I just read, how much of our reality, how much of who we are as people is a trauma response? Like how much of what our reactions are how we deal or cope with things, however mundane, however little, are a a traumatic response. You know what I mean? Um, For instance, I cannot cope with slamming. Slamming of doors, slamming of cupboards, slamming of toilet seats, you name it, just things being slammed. It, like, viscerally (laughs) eats at me. Um, And that's a trauma response because of what I obviously correlate that sound to from, like, my childhood and whatnot. You know, so it's, it's PTSD, but in a very you know, small, domesticated PTSD in a very small way. Um, So I think that's interesting because that's, you know, maybe not the greatest example, but even even something as simple as somebody saying hello in a store, you know, and smiling at you, which I I think in America, that's really like, that's common. I've heard elsewhere, it's not super common. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Correct me, please, on that regard. Um, But, you know, you tend to feel, you tend to feel really good. I do. Um, You know, if you are somewhere and somebody says, oh, I like your makeup or whatever, you know, something like that, like compliments feel good. So it's like you have to think about that. Is that also a trauma response? Because we are lack, you know what I mean? Like that we didn't receive that kind of uh, admiration when we felt like we needed it the most. So our gratitude for feeling that for hearing a compliment like that is is that also a trauma response so the point I'm trying to make in this whole winded thing is it's so interesting because when you really really start going down this wormhole of ideas and whatnot um the way we're made to feel and the way we feel about things you know it's it's so fascinating to me. So on that note of character development, you know, I have been, I don't want to jinx myself, um, 
when it comes to story creation, I tend to sabotage myself when it comes to character creation. Sometimes it feels really hard um, to step back and not build characters whose existence is based around their trauma. You know what I mean? And I feel like that happens so often with characters. Now, on that note, going back to me drawing, um, and I've talked about this series. Oh, my gosh. It's one of my favorite programs out there. And if you ever get the chance, do watch it. I started reading the books. It's a little hard to get into because in the series, they're, all the characters are aged up. In the books, uh, they're all teenagers and just I don't really do I don't know anyway (laughs) point is uh the magicians which was a show on sci-fi um written by Lee Grossman and then developed for tv uh and it's phenomenal you know and I I'm working on for the past couple years I've been working on a series of fan art for the show. Sci-Fi actually shared the pieces as I was working on them on their Instagram page. So, validation. Uh point is uh I have I have 5 or 6 6 of the characters from the show. Um and it's very funny to me because I have people who like those pieces are probably I don't have a ton of people like in person who recognize it. I've had I mean like I I have a couple people who know what they are and have brought them up and you know we we talk and everything and I made friends off of uh that but like online they've reached a much wider audience and I I get a lot of messages, and it's so funny to me because the relationships that people have with these characters are so intense, and they're unlike anything I've ever seen because these characters are perhaps, and I think I think most would agree, and everybody I've talked to agrees, these are some of the best written characters because they're so realistic, you know, and if you couldn't tell based on the title, we're in a world where we're not dealing with realism, we're dealing with fantasy, but these characters are, there is not a single regard, a single dimension to any of these characters. You know what I mean? Even even the side characters, even the villains, and they just, it's such a phenomenal ability. You know what I mean? And I feel like it happens, it happens here and there. We see characters like that. But with the magicians in particular, we have a group of characters who are essentially from, for the most part, different walks of life, um, you know, and, and interestingly, 
you know, on the note of, of trauma development for fictional characters, they all have their traumas. You know what I mean? And it kind of, I don't want to say it drives them, but it certainly, it, it gives us a very precise point of view, you know, and um, it tells us not who they are, but how they are, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, for the character Quentin, you know, he starts the show off. He's, you know, in, in a mental ward. Um, and up to this point in his life, he is truly like he's, he's dealt with depression and suicidal ideation, but because he's been a magician and he hasn't know, you know, now it's just kind of starting to come, uh, become obvious that he's, he's actually like a magician. Uh, he really has felt overall unfulfilled. So his trauma is his mental illness, essentially. Uh, by the end of the day, by the end of his storyline within the, the show, and I don't want to spoil anything, one of the best scenes I have ever seen that to this day still haunts me. So phenomenally done. Um, but it's 110% a trauma response. And it's so phenomenally done. All of these characters are the best examples. Oh my gosh. Again, please ignore these dogs barking. They bark over falling uh, leaves. So when when we're relating traumas to ourselves and these fictitious characters these characters who we're trying to give a point and a direction for i think it's interesting because we that's what we are very reliant on and you know joe and i were actually talking about this the other day it's like i am very much of the belief I am super opposed to the this idea of depth. I hate. I think it is the most preposterous concept that in order for something to have value, it has to be deep. You know what I mean? It has to have this overwhelming, uh, thought-provoking idea. I think that is ridiculous. Things can just be appealing. Things can just be pretty. Things can just make you sad. Th you know what I mean? Like there's doesn't have to be depth to things, to events, to stories, to art, to anything like that. But we're still always looking for that, right? We're always looking for some kind of answer, something to relate to that gives us some kind of idea for who we are as people. <laughs> Even though things don't have to be deep, we're still looking for that kind of deep connection. Um, 
because that's just humanity. That's just being being a human. We have so many factors of our realities that are unanswered for that we're always seeking to have that that expanded upon in further uh, empathy, I think. Um, so I don't know. I just... I think, you know, we as people have a lot more to us than just our trauma and just the trauma that, you know, we inflict upon our fictional characters. Um, But I think there's almost that need that hunger for it not for trauma but for for that that overwhelming feeling because it's almost tangible you know um and it's wild to me you know, and I, I read the research, and it makes sense. Um, you know, the one instance that I, I did read, it makes sense. You know, that it's it's <laughs> it's a, our, our recollection of traumatic feelings based on an event that we experienced are a trauma response, you know? And if that's unfortunately been most of your life, you know, for... Whatever case, it's very interesting. But that also being said, I, I don't know. I think there's there's something to it to the experiences of things beyond beyond that kind of hurt. And uh, I hope I hope we all have it. You know, I hope we all have easier ways to look back at happy moments of our lives instead of thinking about the, the the pain of those times or the stresses or the, you know, anxieties or all that fun stuff. So on that note, though, another uh, bit of research from the Beckman Institute, another otherwise effective emotion regulation strategy, reappraisal, or looking at the situation differently to see the glass half full can be cognitively demanding. The strategy of focusing on non-emotional contextual details of a memory, on the other hand, is as simple as shifting the focus in the mental movie of your memories and then letting your mind wander. Uh, So, of course, you know, that also brings up, like, the idea of... uh, regarding these instances... In as, you know, non-emotional ways as possible. And that's so hard. Um, So, yeah. So there's really no takeaway from this episode. It's simply just a thought process and some ideas regarding character development from a really real place. (laughs) You know, and something I found interesting. Something... um, I was kind of just mulling over and thinking on 
while I was drawing and feeling quite contented. Uh, so that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. <sighs> I hope you enjoyed that. And fun kind of thinking on it and looking into it and understanding it more. Also, thank you for putting up with my uh, audience in the background who apparently had to share their thoughts by barking. Such a pain in the butt. All right, guys. <laughs> uh, you can find us at www.theworldofmyth.com on Facebook and Twitter at the World of Myth Bits Podcast and the World of Myth Magazine and on Instagram at the World of Myth Bits. I don't know if you noticed, I did a new cover. Joe is actually working on a new <laughs> intro because he's very sweet. Um, yeah. So we'll be back next week. With a new, new episode, hopefully, hopefully something as interesting. I hope it was interesting. I hope so. All right, guys. Until next time. <laughs>